Well, good morning. Glad you braved the uh, potentially hazardous weather. It's not supposed to get nasty until a little bit later today, so we're glad you're with us today. I uh, want you to know that uh, you made a good choice today. Worship is so critically important for us to be a part of the body of Christ, fellowshipping together and encouraging one another. And so we're glad that you're here and you've made that decision to be a part of what we're doing today. We'll be reading in Isaiah 11 for a little bit here in just a couple minutes, so uh, keep your thumb there. We're going to start with that last half, and then we'll go back to the first half in Isaiah 11 when we get to that in just a second. Let's go ahead and start with prayer together. Father in heaven, today we stand under the authority of your word. We ask that you would rule in our hearts and that the truth of what you've revealed to us, not just in your word in scripture, but in your living word through Jesus Christ, that we would be people who live as part of that new kingdom you've established. That our hearts and our minds would continually be shaped because we have placed our faith and trust and belief in you revealing yourself to us. Father, you've done what we could never imagine. And the infinite, holy, perfect character and nature of God was revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Come into our finite, limited, painful, sinful world. And so, Lord, we are this side of heaven, people wanting to continue to establish that kingdom that you brought here to earth in our hearts and in our families, in this people here as we're gathered. We ask that the Spirit would be with us today such that we would open your word and learn from you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, a preacher, a dentist, and a doctor walk into a Bob Evans restaurant. And the waitress says, will you pray for me? My tooth is killing me. Actually, this isn't a joke. (laughs) It happened last summer. I have a friend named Aaron who's a preacher in Johnson City, and uh, he was having lunch with his brother, who is a doctor, and his brother's friend, who is a dentist. And uh, so there's a preacher, a doctor, and a dentist there at at Bob Evans, and, and, and the waitress comes up and starts talking about how her teeth problems have just been giving her all all this pain. So here's what my friend Aaron says about the experience. As my coffee arrived, I realized our situation could make the beginning of a good or corny joke. He said, I was wondering what common thread might run through our vocational experiences, a preacher, a doctor, and a dentist. He said, I asked the dentist, What kinds of things never cease to amaze you about the patients who come into your office? He looked up, he smiled, and he said, People who never met a toothbrush or dental floss walk into my office and want me to make their teeth perfect. And then the doctor, my friend's brother, said, Just yesterday, I had somebody ask me how to heal more quickly. I told him, get plenty of rest, eat right, and be patient. He looked disappointed because he just wanted me to give him a pill that would make him better. Have you ever wanted something in your life to be better? 
but you refused, functionally, you refused to do what it takes. Those daily required tasks and steps of discipline in your life to bring about the better. You ever wanted something but refused to acknowledge that you were willing to take the steps to make it better? I want to lose weight, but I want to eat some Oreos first. I want to feel better, but I don't want to exercise. I want to sleep better, but I don't want to give up caffeine. If you haven't yet noticed, this is all me. I want to be informed and and brighter and, and more aware of what's going on in the world, but I'd rather watch Seinfeld reruns. I want a more secure financial future, but I also want a larger television and a TiVo and faster Internet. And actually, I I want the NFL channel if we're going to be listing those kinds of things. But There's a common thread running through the human condition. That common thread for us all is that everybody wants a better world. Poets write poems about it. Singers sing songs. Artists paint pictures. Sculptors sculpt sculptures about it. Politicians make speeches about it. Preachers preach about it. Teachers teach about it. Everybody wants a new, better, restored world. But we often don't want to follow the God-given prescription that gets us there. Why do we have such trouble committing to that? Why do we have such trouble, this side of heaven, committing to God's prescribed ways of developing the kingdom on earth? If you had to guess within your spirit right now where you're sitting as to why we fallen humans don't seem willing to commit to the process of becoming restored as God has it for us, I suspect that laziness would be an easy answer that we would all say is part of the reason. Of course, that's sometimes the reason, but maybe not as often as we may think. I wonder if the reason that we don't commit to the process of building a better world, a better family, a better church, better relationships with one another, isn't sometimes connected with the cynicism that we develop about whether or not What we want and what God prescribes and what he brings to earth in the form of a baby is actually even possible. I wonder if this side of heaven, as we experience pain and sin and suffering in our bodies, in our relationships, in our families, in our our own church family, as we experience the limitations of a world that is broken by sin, I wonder if we develop a cynicism about whether what we really want is even possible. When you go to the dentist, is it actually already too late? And you've given up on having good teeth, and you're going there to have him fix them for you? When you go to the doctor, have you secretly decided that you'll probably not really be healthy again and you're just wanting the doctor to fix it? 
when you and your spouse go to counseling? Have you already decided that marriage is too broken to be repaired? So that when the advice you get is to forgive your spouse, you can't bring yourself to it because you know it's beyond repair. Friends, this world is broken. And the truth is, unless we believe that our desire for restoration, this side of heaven even, is attainable, then no matter how lazy or even industrious and disciplined we are, we will not commit to the plan of action required. The problem is, we run up against this problem in today's text. The problem is, sometimes Christmas is something that happened then. And it's not still happening now. When Jesus died on the cross, that happened way back when. But the confidence and trust and faith I place in those things don't affect how I forgive you and how you talk to me and and how we behave with each other. And restoration sometimes because of the weight of sin as it continues to be a part of our lives and relationships and church family and our jobs. All these kinds of things build this weight on us that makes us cynical. You really think this is going to happen? It's sort of our response in our hearts. In Isaiah, the 11th chapter, Isaiah has what we call a a beatific. It's It's a beautiful vision of what we're going to call today shalom. He has a vision of shalom in God's world. Shalom is sometimes translated basically as peace. Peace is not a bad translation, but it's not quite enough. Shalom includes peace in the sense of the absence of conflict, But it extends into the idea that shalom is a state of wholeness and flourishing. It's life as God intends. It's inner and outer restoration and wholeness. Isaiah's vision is one of shalom. It's one of the flourishing of all of God's creation. And he writes this, starting in verse 6 in Isaiah 11. He says this, The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling all together. And a little child will lead them. Verse 7. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I read this, and the cynic in me, that unbelieving cynic, skeptical part in me, hears this kind of text and says, that is, that's a beautiful picture. That's beautiful. <laughs> and impossible. It feels like. You may find yourself thinking that same kind of thing. You know, that, that's great Isaiah. Utopia. Sure, lots of people have tried utopia. And every single experiment has failed. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we all want 
what Isaiah says in this text. I suspect that you even believe that shalom in this restoration of all things would be a great idea. I also don't think, I mean, I'm sorry, I also think that most of us don't see it happening anytime soon. Some of us don't think it will ever happen on earth. Most of us have decided that this kind of vision here is only available in heaven after we die. Because we've, we've given up on it happening here. If that's what we think, then every promise of Scripture for here and now becomes pie in the sky after you die. And if what Isaiah says isn't possible on earth, and it isn't aided by anything that you and I can actually do, then every command of Scripture becomes an optional and and spiritualized, not-going-to-happen-here kind of promise. If If I could give you a gift this morning, it would be that you become a believer in this vision of a God-redeemed, universal, flourishing world. I don't know if this vision is meant to be taken literally, as if, as if actual lions and actual lambs will have afternoon tea together. I don't know if we're to receive this vision as a sign that, that animals won't need claws and, and, and teeth and that people will all become vegetarians. Isaiah's vision may include some of those kinds of things. But this is figurative language meant to convey something even greater and more important than that. Isaiah's vision is a vision of a restored earth where you don't have to worry about your child dying in an accident with snakes. You won't have to worry about people taking from you in order to bolster their own Kingdoms. You won't have to worry about the evil and the pain and the despair that marks our current human existence. But listen, friends, Isaiah's vision isn't just a destination. It's a path. It's a path as well. Isaiah's vision is one in which a Messiah, an anointed one, will lead the way to how that kingdom, how that restoration, how that kind of healing happens as a signal here and now of the future as well. So, so if you and I, if we want to reach that wonderful kind of vision and place, then we will, in the here and now, conform our hopes and our dreams and our methods of living with one another to the standard that he sets. A child will lead us. Listen to verses 1 to 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Verse 4, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. 
With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Verse 5, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Do you want wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge of how shalom will happen? Then we need to follow the revealed one who understands what it means to stand in fear and awe of God. You and I will need a deliverer who will judge those who refuse this vision. The deliverer will judge rightly, without mistake, without succumbing to bribes. You and I need a deliverer who will finally strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and slay the wicked with the word. In a world that is broken, if we want shalom... We need God to reveal himself to us. The crazy thing is that God has told us how we can participate in God's attempts to make all things new. He's spoken to us in a language we can understand. He didn't speak to us in Aramaic, in Hebrew, Greek, Arabic, or even English. He spoke to us in the flesh. God's ways in the flesh are exposed to us in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. So in Jesus, as he comes, we have seen what it looks like to travel the road to new creation. We've been given a path of love and of joy and patience, peace, kindness. We've been told in the flesh that the remedy for a new creation is the action of God through the lives of cross-shaped people. People who pick up their daily crosses and trust and believe that the cynicism and pain and suffering is not all there is. So the question is simply this. (laughs) Are you and I willing to give in to the prescription? Are you and I willing to live with the confidence that Jesus coming to earth in the flesh set forth for us for real what it means to live? Or Or do we give in to the evil and the pain and the suffering and the frustration and the hard parts of life, as if that's all there is. Are you and I willing to live in such a way that you and your actions become a source of peace and shalom with one another? The vision Isaiah sets forth for us here is real. But we won't see it if we refuse to follow the child God's given to lead us in that direction. Let's pray together.
Lord God, we read in Scripture that you tell us about a world where restoration happens. And it is frustrating for us to experience the consequences of sin here and now. It makes an argument against visions like this that you've given to Isaiah. And we want, Lord, to be people who do not give in to that kind of cynicism, but we want to be people who are cross-shaped, who are following the child you sent to lead us. And so as we speak with one another, as we interact with friends, as we live together as church family, as we work in the world, we ask that our behavior and our words and our deeds, the ways we live, would be formed and shaped by a hope that your Messiah is in fact the one come to lead us. Forgive us for living in ways that make it seem as if we don't trust that, as if we don't have confidence that your coming was what you claimed. Lord, we read in places like Isaiah, Father, that you have told us what you were going to do. And now that you've done it, help us, Lord, to live this side of heaven despite the sin and despite the suffering in a way that is confidently speaking restoration and shalom and peace for what is better because we know that you will save us not just on the cross, but you will do what you said you would do in the future. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. If you're looking for a church home, we would invite you in just a moment here as a baptized believer in Christ to come play stock and invest with us as a church and be a part of this fellowship. Or if you're not a baptized believer in Christ and if you've not publicly named Him as your Lord and Savior, as we sing in just a moment, we'd like to invite you to come forward. Let's stand and sing together.